Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Radically walking through the Gospel of John, and so this morning we're going to be in John chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 21. And I want to do something this morning I don't often do, uh, but that is I want to invite uh, those who are able, uh, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, and then I want to give you a little bit of coaching, and I'm not going to say, I don't, I'm not saying that we're going to do this every week, but we're going to do it this week. Reading, I am going to uh, say this is the Word of God for the people of God, uh, to which all of you will respond, thanks be to God, okay? Uh, so that's, uh, that's, what, that's the plan for this morning. So we're going to be in John chapter 10, verses 1 through uh, 21. You can follow along, it'll be up on the screen as well. Uh, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks and the flock, uh, he, he attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also, for they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, and this command I have received from my father. Now the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God for the people of God. Hey, great job. You may be seated. You know, so much of what Jesus says and does in his ministry must be seen in light of Israel's history, uh, if we are to properly understand uh, what is going on. And certainly Jesus' claim uh, to be the good shepherd is no different. Uh, So I invite you this morning to kind of understand and get uh, a handle on what is going on in this passage in John uh, by immersing ourselves a bit in the life of Israel. Uh, Early on in the biblical story, God raises up for himself a nation, and he calls them his own, and this is the nation of Israel. Now, of course, out of Israel, he will then raise up a new community called uh, the church, but I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Uh, and so God raises up this nation of Israel for the purpose of being a light to the world. And to help them do that, he gives them a whole set of laws. Uh, but the laws aren't there to hinder them or uh, squelch their life or their fun uh, or for God to be some sort of uh, killjoy. Uh, but rather the rules are there to help them work out how are they to relate to God and how are they relate to, to relate to one another. And so he gives them laws like do not steal, do not murder, uh, do not covet. And, and while these laws seem really, really basic, uh, it turns out that all of these years later, we're still working really hard on them. Uh, but the point was, of course, that insofar as Israel followed those laws, they would demonstrate to the world, this is what it looks like when God is in charge. And, and so that is to say that God has raised them up to be unique among the nations. And as Israel is living out, or, or as they lived out their unique vocation, there were certainly parts of the story where the nation of Israel as a whole and the leaders of Israel made it quite clear that they did not want to be unique but rather they wanted to be like everyone else, uh, which is essentially a way of saying that God said this, behold, I give you a fidget cube. <laughs> and Israel was like, but we wanted a fidget spinner, <laughs> right? Uh, so that's basically what is going on in the Old Testament. Uh, <laughs> but, but don't quote that and certainly don't tweet that. Um, but you know the feeling, don't you? I mean, the desire to blend in, to be like everyone else, to have what everyone else has. Uh, during the alternative movement of the 90s, uh, all of us kids and teenagers were trying so hard to be different that we ended up all being just alike, <laughs> right? We thought, oh, baggy jeans, dyed hair, and lots of bracelets will make me unique until we looked at our friends who were wearing the exact same thing. Um, but Israel's desire to be like the cool kids was never more clear uh, than when it came to wanting a king. You see, Israel was designed as a nation uh, to be ruled by God and God alone. That, that is to say that very literally and quite practically, God formed the nation to be their king. But as they looked around, as Israel looked around and saw all the other nations with their kings, I almost said fidget spinners, but as they looked around with all of the, the, the other nations and saw that they had kings, then Israel decided, well, we want a human king too. And if you read the passages in the Old Testament, of course, what we find is there's a lot of discourse back and forth between we want a king, we need a king, we're not a real nation until we have a king, right? To which God replies, but I am your king. Well, eventually God concedes and gives them a king. But what we read throughout the whole Old Testament narrative is it's a, this whole idea of having a human king over this, this nation really doesn't work out very well for the nation of Israel. I mean, there are a couple of, of good kings, but most, most kings were corrupted by the power that was given to them. And, and then they didn't live in ways that pleased God, which then spun the nation into all kinds of, of trouble. In fact, what we find is that many of the kings used uh, their power quite selfishly 
And so rather than having kingship over a people and, and, and looking out for the good of, of all people, they, they rather took all the resources and wealth that were made available to them through the kingship and, and used it for their own good. Well, what happened is after Israel has this, this string of, of failed kings, they, they begin, uh, Israel and the prophets of Israel begin to ask really important questions. Uh, questions like, what is a good king? And what does a good king do? You see, they needed some, some sort of handles to begin to understand what, what the, a proper king should be. <laughs> and so they began to ask these questions. And as the prophets scanned the world looking for a good picture to communicate what a king should be like, they came across the shepherd. That is to say that the image of a shepherd becomes the way of talking about what it means to be a proper king. Too much BBC lately, the proper king. Uh, everything we've watched is on BBC lately. Uh, but the, the shepherd becomes a way of talking about what it means to be a, a, a proper king. And it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense to, to make a connection between the roles of a king and the, and the role of the shepherd. Because the shepherd was responsible for leading the flock. And, and unlike a cowboy who drives cattle from behind with, with shouts and the cracking of a whip, uh, the shepherd goes out in front of the flock and leads them with the sound of his voice. And then the flock listens becomes familiar with his voice, and then follows. This is a, a really gentle way of, of leading that is quite different when compared to cracking the whip from behind. The shepherd was also responsible for feeding the flock, and, and that isn't to say uh, that, that the shepherd would, would pluck the grass and, and put it in the sheep's mouth. In fact, uh, as I was doing my research this morning, I thought, this is quite weird, isn't it, that the, uh, that the sheep or the shepherd feeds the sheep? Is, is, is this a quite literal picture, plucking grass and placing it and feeding the sheep? Or, or is it more akin to the way that you could say a, a parent feeds a child? That once a child is of a certain age, certainly we don't feed them by hand, but we could say it. My kids are almost nine and age five. I would still say quite proudly, I feed my kids. <laughs> but that isn't to say that I take the spoon and dip it and then put it in their mouth as much as it is to say, and this is the role of the shepherd, to, to lead them, to effectively lead them to a place of abundance. That the role of the shepherd in, in feeding the flock was, was leading them through the sound of his voice into a place where there would be plenty to eat a place of abundance. And so the shepherd was responsible for leading the flock, for feeding the flock, and also responsible for protecting the flock. Uh, this meant that the role of the shepherd was to guard against predators that looked at a sheep and just saw a cheeseburger. <laughs> like all they wanted with the sheep was a meal. And then uh, the role of the shepherd was to come along and, and, and protect from those predators. And so with all of these commonalities, the, the prophets would declare that the Lord is 
the shepherd of Israel. In fact, as you, as you read the prophets, you, you find this imagery of a shepherd coming up over and over and over again. And, and so the prophets would declare, in fact, the Lord is the shepherd over Israel, <laughs> which is essentially a way of saying that God is your true king in the midst of a whole line of failed kings. You, I may have given you a king and they have failed, but let me tell you, says the voice of the prophets, that God is the true shepherd over this people. But then the, the prophets did something else. They, they made a habit of, of really making a poor example or a negative example of any real-life shepherds who were doing kind of a bad job. <laughs> and so you'll read the prophets, and they'll say, don't be like the bad shepherds who do this and this and this, who don't care for the flock, who don't protect them. And then they go on to say, so they have a positive example. God is your shepherd. They have a negative example. This isn't what God is like, and don't be like that. And then they do this other thing where they say, there is one who is coming who will be the true shepherd. And so in John chapter 10, when Jesus makes the statement and says, I am the good shepherd, it is actually a statement that is charged uh, with, with identity that goes beyond just that Jesus is gentle and kind, right? I mean, how many times when we hear, oh, I am the good shepherd, we say, oh, isn't Jesus nice? I love Jesus because he's so nice. And yes, Jesus is nice. And yes, Jesus is gentle and kind and full of abundant grace. But there's so much more that's going on here. It's actually a charge statement where he is saying, I am Israel's long-awaited Messiah, and I am their true king. Implicit in that is the only remedy for the failure of Israel's shepherds. When I, hear, when I say shepherds, hear kings. The only remedy for the failure of Israel's shepherds is for God to become the shepherd. That's really, really important. And I want to say it again. The only remedy to a line of, failed, of Israel's failed shepherds is for God himself to become the shepherd. And so Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, this charged statement of identity that is directly related to kingship. And then he says, look at those who have heard my voice and have followed in my way. They have had a real change of heart uh, their, their lives have been foundationally changed. Like, in other words, I want you to see this. In John chapter 9, with the story of the blind man healed that we looked at last week, the, the primary question that's being asked is, is Jesus really the Messiah? Like, who is this Jesus? That's the primary question being asked in John chapter 9, which makes sense then that we go right to John chapter 10, and Jesus would say a statement charged with identity. I am the true shepherd. I am the good shepherd. But then along with that, he says, if you want further evidence, look at all of those who have heard my voice. Look at the, look at the flock of people that have heard my voice and that are now following and walking in my way. In fact, the earliest, before we earned the name Christians, uh, there was, as people were trying to figure out, like, what do we do with people who are following Jesus? They, they began to be called followers of the way the way of this, this very strange 
revolutionary, world-changing Jewish carpenter who has all these wild claims about himself. And so Jesus says, if you need further evidence, look at all of those who have heard my voice and are following in the way. It says, and it's all directly connected and flowing out of John chapter 9 and the healing of this man who was born blind, uh, which is why uh, the Pharisees at the end of the passage that we read, the Pharisees, well, well, the Pharisees are arguing, uh, some of them say, look, demons can't heal blind guys. <laughs> and you think, where does that come from? It's because all of this is flowing out of John chapter 9. And so Jesus, first of all, says, look, and see or, or, or notice the people who hear my voice and follow in the way. But then he says, I lay down my life for the flock, for the sheep. Now, this is in stark contrast to one of Ezekiel's rebukes of, of Israel's bad shepherds in, Ch- in Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, what Ezekiel does in 34 in, in giving an example of bad shepherds is he says that there are some shepherds who would actually go and do harm to the sheep in order to to have personal gain. And so they would take the flock that that they were charged with overseeing and caring for and then exploit the flock so that they have personal gain, says Ezekiel chapter 34. Now this is interesting, isn't it? We think, what, what could sheep possibly have to offer. Um, but sheep in ancient culture and, and still in some uh, cultures today uh, were a really, really valuable resource. Um, and so Ezekiel chapter 34 tells about a bad shepherd will protect himself and his reputation even at the expense of the sheep while a good shepherd will work to protect his sheep including then when the sheep are facing danger to go and meet the danger head on and, in, and if necessary, take upon himself the fate that would otherwise befall the sheep. And so I want you to put this together. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. This is in stark contrast to a bad shepherd described in Ezekiel 34 who instead of laying down his life for the sheep would would actually seek to protect himself and his reputation, often at the expense of the sheep. While a good shepherd will not only protect his sheep, but go and meet danger head on, and if necessary, take upon himself the fate that would otherwise befall the sheep. And here's what I want to say to you today. That this, all of this should hopefully sound familiar, for this is precisely what Jesus the good shepherd does for us. This is precisely what Jesus, the good shepherd, has done for us. There is an enemy coming toward us, and we are in danger. And before you think that I uh, see the devil behind every bush... Let me talk to you a little bit about the danger that I'm talking about. There is an enemy coming toward us and we are in danger. Church, we are in danger of believing lies about ourselves. Uh, there, are, there are messages that we hear from 
uh, people in authority in our lives, uh, parents or teachers or other things, all of us bear a wound. And, and a lot of times in interpreting those situations or those circumstances in our life, we attach ourselves to a core message that is actually a lie about who we are. And so we are in danger of believing lies about who we are and not truly grabbing a hold of who we are in Christ. We are in danger of consuming so much that we deplete the resources that our planet has to offer. We are in danger of not seeing the humanity in people who are not like me. We are in danger of believing that violence can solve problems. We are in danger of believing that our fellow human is the problem. When scripture makes it clear that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against principalities and powers. That anytime there's a break in relationship or a rift or, or anything that's going on where there's a very direct temptation and we are in danger of believing that our fellow brother or sister is the problem and the enemy. When in fact, that isn't the case. Because our, our struggle, our battle is against not flesh and blood, says the Apostle Paul, but against principalities and powers. And so we, there is an enemy heading right toward us. And we are in danger of all sorts of things. And I would submit to you that uh, the worst sort of evils in the world are also the most subtle. Because then we don't see them coming. Or we don't even notice them when they're here. So we are in danger. Here's the good news this morning. Jesus, the good shepherd, sees the danger and meets it head on. And in fact, he takes on uh, the very thing that would befall us, but he takes it on himself. That, that what we see when we place the cross around our neck or in the center of our sanctuaries or anywhere or on our pens and refrigerator magnets or whatever else, we stamp with the cross and we, we, we behold the cross and the symbol of the cross. What we are looking at is the evidence and the reality that the good shepherd saw the danger that the flock of humanity was in and he faced it head on and he took on all of the sin and the brokenness and the darkness so that we might live in the light of life, so that we might hear his voice and follow in the way of Jesus, that we might recognize that violence doesn't solve problems, but the, the truly, truly the thing that changes the world is self-sacrificial love. And so, this is all very good news. But it is also a scandalous claim if we listen with the ears of the original audience. Because the original audience, all the folks who were uh, of Jewish heritage and were part of the nation of Israel with the words uh, that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, there's a good portion of them it would have said, amen, our Savior has arrived. 
there's a good portion of, of those, of, of the Jews who would have said, I'm not quite so sure about this guy. And then all the Gentiles would have said, that sounds like really good news, but what about us? <laughs> We're left out of this completely. Because remember, all of this is how Jesus fulfills and becomes Israel's true Messiah. And so if this is, suppo- this is supposed to be great news for Israel, after all, Jesus is Israel's Messiah, but what about the rest of us? And then Jesus says this absolutely scandalous claim. And he says this, I have other sheep that aren't in the sheep pen, that aren't in this sheep pen, which is, which is a way of saying, as soon as you think that you're like in the in crowd, uh, guess what? There are other people who are in. As soon as you've drawn a line, guess what? God is going right behind you and erasing it. <laughs> as soon as you thought you've had all the, all the boundaries figured out, God is, is destroying those boundaries. As soon as you have done your best to build up a wall, God is going behind you, crashing it down. He says, I have other sheep who aren't even part of this sheep pen, but nevertheless, they have heard my voice and they are following in my way. It's, it's absolutely scandalous. And I would argue that it's, if we really hear it, if we really hear it, it's 100% as scandalous today as it was back then. Because as soon as you thought that the good news was only for people like you, or as soon as you thought that you knew who was in and who was out, or as soon as you thought that you had lines clearly drawn, the shepherd says with a smirk, he says, you thought you were the only ones who heard my voice. But guess what? I have sheep who aren't even part of this sheep pen, who aren't even part of this particular clan, this tribe. In other words, I have a whole world of people, Jesus says, that are in my fold. (laughs) One of the things that we need to recognize as the people of God is two things. Uh, We belong to a particular tribe. This church, Emmaus Road, belongs to the tribe of the Church of the Nazarene, and it is a global church. And, and I would argue, I'm proud of our denomination. It, it, is, it is more global than a lot of U.S.-born denominations. In our General Assembly this past summer, uh, we elected leaders uh, from, from other countries, so now half of what we call general superintendents uh, are not U.S. native. I think that's beautiful and good news because that means that we belong to a denomination that, yes, was born right here in the U.S., but is a truly international church, which means when you go to a church in the Nazarene across the world, it will look a lot the same, but at the very same time, totally different. And so as a people of God, we need to recognize that when we belong to a tribe, there's a rootedness there, and that's good, and that's healthy. But belonging to a tribe can also narrow our focus so much that, that we begin to, to draw lines that are all of a sudden not really necessary. And we forget that there are a whole multitude of expressions that are under the umbrella of Christianity who hear the voice of God and, and follow in his way, in the way of Jesus Christ. 
And it has all kinds of different expressions. And so I, I would encourage us to do, two, to, to, want, to do two things. First, recognize the value of rootedness, an identity belonging to a particular group or tribe, but also not allowing that, that belonging to turn into an us versus them. Because there is no us in them. There is only us. And, and the sooner we realize that, I think the healthier we'll be. And so, and, and for us, that may, say, that may sound like, uh, yeah, yeah, Pastor Andy, that insight's not that great. Um, already knew that, but thanks for a reminder. Um, but for the, for the, for the yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, and, and so, but for, for the first century Jews that had grown up hearing stories of how they were the people of God and only they were the people of God. This is like absolutely earth-shattering, scandalous news for there to be other people who are in. This is why, uh, and I need to be careful here, but this is why there is laughable irony in uh, rich, white Gentiles deciding who's in and who's out laughable irony, okay? And I, I think I'm just gonna let that, I'm gonna like throw that out there and then just like let it float and that's all. Okay, so my, <laughs> so here's my prayer. Uh, my prayer for this week is that we would learn to hear the voice of the good shepherd and that we would follow him. And as we hear his voice, what we may be, what we may hear is that he may be calling us uh, to knock down boundaries. He may lead us into places we didn't expect. But one thing we can know for sure is that as we follow in his voice, he will lead us into abundant life. Amen? Because he says, I've come so that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. And I pray that our hearts as we follow the good shepherd would just grow and expand, and that we might realize this is the best way to live, is walking the way of Christ. Amen? Uh, let me say a word of prayer, and then I'll lead us to the table for communion. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Uh, thank you, God, that you um, have taught us and, and in many ways are still showing us that you are, in fact, the good shepherd. The one who watches over us. The one who has saw the dangers facing us and you faced the dangers head on and took on all the sin and darkness and brokenness of the world, absorbed it into yourself so that we might have the possibility of living life to the full, life full of grace, full of love for neighbor. But God, we confess together that we don't always do this. And Lord, we certainly don't do it perfectly. But the desire of our hearts, God, is to hear your voice calling us into the ways of love and into the ways of grace. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to work that out 
each one of us in our lives personally, but also, God, as a community and as a church, help us to work it out. What does it mean to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd? And so, God, give us ears to hear. Uh, Use our times of worship uh, to tune our ears to your voice. Uh, There's lots of voices, lots of noise, lots of messages in our world. God, we want to hear your voice. We want to be a flock who recognizes the voice of the Good Shepherd. And so, God, lead us as you have promised to do. Feed us on the truths of your word. And God, we give you praise for protecting us from the dangers that we face. May we walk in your ways. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.